So we've got some some ITMers um, before EBM was uh, was created in in Peternell, in Rick and Dunish, uh, and then we have Krupa, Carl and Varun who have graduated a couple of years ago, some more fresh graduates, let's say, all have entered uh, industry in different careers and different uh, roles. So we thought it'd be great to invite them to come back. And we're so delighted that they took the time out to, to do that, to be able to share some of their advice and reflections around you know, putting themselves back in, in the situation they were in, that you're in now, you know, a few years ago, studying EBM or ITM. You know, what is the advice that they would like to kind of had at that point and to share some of their perspectives on the point at which they entered their careers, you know, leaving the ITM or the EBM course, what was the experience of finding the job and entering the career? And then maybe now what's their experience been in terms of developing that career? Tell me a little bit about, you know, when, when it was that you graduated from Bath, which course you studied, was it ITM or, or EBM? A little bit about what you're currently doing and maybe what took you there, you know, so how did you end up doing that role? So was this, is this the first position and why did you pick that role? Or if it's second position, what was your route to getting to that um, that role? So I'm just looking on my screen and Danish, your first. <laughs> That's your, your... Share a little bit your uh, your journey. Yes. Um, well, I, I graduated from an ITM course in 2012. Uh, so I think I'm, I'm, I'm the oldest alumni here. And uh, I didn't join industry immediately. I took a bit of a break and then came back in 2013 for a PhD. And uh, I did my PhD with Steve, so uh, that's how some of you might know me from some of those lectures that I did with you guys. Um, and I then spent uh, three and a half years doing that PhD, and then I graduated in 2018. That's when I joined uh, the consultancy where I work currently. And right now I work as, I believe my title is Managing Consultant and uh, Head of Analytics. So I run an analytical uh, I run the analytical part of the business and uh, do consultancy based on that. Uh, it's uh, It makes use of what I did for my PhD research. It's entirely based around network analysis and graph theory. And we go out and we we try to solve businesses problems using some of the stuff I did in my research. Excellent. So that's thanks. Uh, thanks, Danisha. Well, yeah, you're the granddaddy of the, uh, of the group here. Then we'll, we'll put you down as... How I can say that at my age, I've no idea, but I'll, I'll give it a go. Yeah, I'm just wondering what that makes you, Peter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Um, okay, thank you for that, uh, Danny. So an interesting route, of course, going, you know, continuing and furthering the education on the PhD side before moving then into this, uh, this area. And it sounds like you're building on, of course, your technical expertise, but in a management role. So basically then consulting and advising companies, uh, which, is, which is an interesting uh, role. Krupa, you're next on my screen in the Bahamas. Um, so maybe you can introduce yourself. Fantastic. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, and just want to say thank you so much for having me here. Um, I graduated from the ITM program in September 2019, um, along with Carl and Byron from the EBM program. And I currently work for a satellite and space operations company called, Tel called Telespazio. It's an Italian company, as you can tell, um, as the geo-information sales and marketing manager. So just just a bit of information on what geoinformation is, for those of you who might not know, geoinformation is a field of satellite Earth observation that concerns um, with spatial and temporal, which is basically space and time, um, data intelligence of the Earth, of the world, um, and through the remote sensing satellites that are in the orbit. Um, and we exploit the data coming downstream from these satellites uh, for real world applications, right, from agriculture to defense and intelligence. Um, so these are satellite-based analytics um, that we can uh, apply to real world scenarios. 
My primary role in the company is to, to nurture our existing opportunities, existing clients world over, manage large uh, bid proposals because a lot of them are government um, contracts. Um, and then um, also support the in-house product development that we have, um, making sure that it's viable for the market um, and aligns with the market needs. Um, my path might be a bit unique on this panel because I had actually worked for a satellite startup just after completion of the course in September to 2019 um, itself. Um, however, because it was a startup that was requiring um, active funding, um, it failed to secure um, uh, another round of funding, which was quite large during the start of the pandemic, and we were all laid off uh, mid-pandemic. So it was it was quite a challenge because it was a fantastic satellite company that was you know rivaling with SpaceX and Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. So we were in the crux of everything, but then it went kaput. Um, it's being revived now, but um, I had to unfortunately um, look for another job within 60 days, given I'm an immigrant uh, with the need to, uh, with the right, I don't have the right to work. So I needed a tier two visa. I only had 60 days to be unemployed um, in the UK. So it was quite a frantic period. However, I was really fortunate that I landed myself this job, which was also in the space company, which is which is exactly where I want to be. So it's it's all worked out. So it's been fantastic. So yeah, great. Yeah, we'll come we'll come back to a couple of points there. One yeah, I think sure. is um, you know how you know when when that happens to you, you know, in terms of when you start to lose lose faith, maybe oh my mm -hmm. god, what's going to happen to me? And you you had the time ticking how that worked out. But also we may have quite a few other students who are interested in you know they also need to get a tier two visa. So we'll come back Absolutely. to that as well. So thanks, uh, thanks for that, Cooper. Um, Varun, let's go to an EBM next. So Varun, maybe you could share uh, a little bit of your sure. story. <clears throat> Hi guys, uh, thank you so much for this. Uh, so I was in EBM class of 1819. I graduated in 2019. Um, for the last one and a half years, I've been back home in uh, India where I've uh, joined my family business, uh, which is my plan all throughout. Uh, basically, we're into uh, plastic packaging. Uh, we make bags that are used to store cement, fertilizers, sugar, polymers. We make that packaging equipment for uh, storing up to 50 kilo of material. So um, in the last one and a half years, my main role has been to uh, transform the entire organization uh, digitally, as well as uh, more of a marketing role in that where I've, uh, I've been analyzing all the customers we had and uh, I've been uh, looking at them industry-wise and I've been trying to get on board better clients that offer better realizations and that offer uh, more potential. Like uh, one major example of that is, okay. So as a part of that, I've been uh, studying all of our uh, customers, all of their requirements and everything and I've been trying to offer better uh, solutions and to basically better understand what industries suit us better in terms of realizations and market potentials, which is why we've uh, in the last year or so moved more towards uh, chemicals and polymers. That's where there's a bigger market now, especially in the pandemic in the last one year of the lockdown because India was affected quite severely by it. Uh, so we got an opportunity to explore many different uh, uh, industries, which we've tapped into in the last one year. So that's been my main role into getting better uh, clients, better customers, 
and uh, to basically work on uh, transforming the company in terms of digital and IT related uh, spheres. That's what I've been doing the last one and a half years now. Thanks, Varun. So, you know, maybe you're not the person who says about the recruitment process. I guess the recruitment process for your job was not as tough as maybe some, <laughs> some others. But, you know, but it is an interesting situation for those that are either going back to a sponsoring company or they have a job right. lined up. Right. Where there's kind right. of an expectation you're, you're coming back with these new skills, you know, and you're going now into the family right. business, or this engineering leader, engineering business leader. And there's all these expectations. So we'll maybe come back to that a little bit about how that Definitely. Uh, how that worked out uh, for you. Yeah. Uh, Peter Nell, maybe over to, to you next. Good morning, everyone. Um, it's quite early here in BA, so uh, I'm happy you guys will have me. Anyway, so my my route is quite different than the others. I started in finance, so I have worked pre after I graduated uh, ITM in God's Steve, I believe three years ago now. Um, I worked as an investment banker at Rothschild in London uh, in mergers and acquisitions. So I was an analyst for the Benelux team. So what that means is that I help, I would help uh, companies buy other companies. Uh, that was my role in, uh, in investment banking. I did that for one year, uh, I used to support the Dutch market. However, I made quite a switch, which is much more ITM related. I now work for a, uh, for a tech company in London. At the time I joined was a startup called Genesis. Uh, we are now a scale-up, which is, which is amazing because it's uh, going really well. And what the startup does, what Genesis does, is we are a low-code application platform. And there is a very fancy term for um, helping. Um, it's an application platform that allows super fast uh, coding um, in, in sort of Lego bricks. So you don't need programming language or skill or technical skills to actually build, build applications. And we do it specifically for financial services, so for banks. So uh, what I do is I talk to Dutch banks uh, uh, primarily, but also um, several financial services institutions in the US, wealth managers, asset managers, you name it. And we help them basically uh, innovate their business. So we, we talk about part of their business where we can innovate them. Um, and I, I basically manage the projects from, uh, from initiation to all the way to sales close, all the way to project management down to the end. Um, clients include Citibank, ING, uh, XB Investments, uh, it's quite big and we've recently secured a, um, um, an investment of 30 million of Google Ventures, so that's quite interesting. So in terms of ITM, I would say it's, it's quite relevant because we are all the way going from startup to scale up to now, um, yes, to now mature company. So it's an interesting journey I'd like to tell more about. So Excellent. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you found your way back to ITM and technology yes, after I a small did. foray into uh, to finance. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Carl, how about uh, you? Tell us a little bit about your story. Of course. Hello, guys. Um, thanks for having me. And um, yes, so I'm Carl. I'm from Germany. Um, I've uh, graduated in engineering business management together with Varun in 2019, which was the first time of that course. Um, before that, I've studied industrial engineering and management with a mechanical engineering uh, focus. And uh, well, after my application phase for jobs, I've started as, well, yeah, as a typical project manager in an, a mid-sized company uh, here in West Germany. Um, 
in the special mission aircraft uh, department. And so what we basically do is our key business is the maintenance, repair and overhaul of uh, commercial aviations for airliners, for example, where we are specified on um, specific um, well, airborne platforms um, and for uh, business um, aviation. So uh, business jets or private jets um, these are the key uh, or the key business areas of that company. Um, my department is uh, the special mission department is focused on the modification and upgradation um, programs of certain um, um, aircraft, um, focusing on um, the search and rescue missions, um, coast guard, uh, surveillance and reconnaissance, uh, and so on. So it's rather uh, the defense industry uh, in with an aviation um, aspect. Um, what I do is really the typical um, well, project manager uh, type of work, uh, which is coordinating, managing, monitoring, communicating, especially between as an interface between our technicians, um, our suppliers as well, our developers, and uh, mainly also the customer. Um, and uh, as Kruger also said, what we do is uh, we have also many governmental uh, contracts. So we are dealing with big um, uh, governmental organizations uh, where it is known that um, well, yeah, communications, decision-making, uh, that's quite difficult um, um, to coordinate and to manage. Um, yes, so that's my basic role here. Very good. Thank you, uh, Carl. And then last but definitely not uh, least, Rick, it'd be good to hear uh, your story. So sorry to leave you to the end, but I'm sure it's going to be the, 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 the good summary next. So go for it. Sure. Thank you, Paul. Uh, hey, hello, everyone. My name is Rick. So I started uh, my life in the UK from Boston University five or six years ago. And I come from an engineering background and then did a master's in innovation technology management uh, with Steve. Uh, after graduating from Bath, I joined the EY in their financial services consulting business as a London Canary Wharf office as a graduate. Uh, after three years there, I was then headhunted by KPMG and joined their FS data consulting business as an uh, innovation lead. Uh, now I'm leading a team of data scientists developing data products and helping my client uncover insights from data. Um, my industry focus is financial services. So that's banking, insurance, and asset management, uh, which includes uh, alternative uh, investments such as hedge fund and private equity firms. So one of the typical example of my day job is to use uh, alternative data sets to help a private equity client decide whether or not to acquire a retailer business. And the experience in Bath really sets me well. And uh, Bath has actually been playing an important role throughout my career. Uh, over the years, I went back to bars for uh, a number of times, uh, either for recruitment or for alumni events. And it's always one of those events that I'm looking forward to every year. And I'm very happy to be here and very excited to have this conversation with you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Rick. You know, and it's interesting. I mean, Steve, you've been around uh, ITM a lot longer than, than I have. It's, it's interesting when you hear, and I guess you get this all the time, the reflection of all you know, the different careers that people lead to from the ITM and EBM, you know, whether it's project management, finance, technology, banking, asset management, uh, contract management, you know, and it, it, the range of arenas that people are able to go into is, 
is something that maybe is a little bit unique, I guess, for as, as a program or, or a pair of programs. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, and I think the other thing is that, that uh, it's interesting that the, the journey is not necessarily direct, you know, um, you know, people sometimes take a while, they're trying different things, they're being re very reflective about what it is that you want to do. Um, and of course, you know, as Krupa was saying, there, there will be setbacks, there will be things that won't always go right. But you've, you know, you've been given the, the skills and hopefully the self-confidence to enable you to succeed. Yeah. So absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we're going to move on a little bit. I'm, I'm going to, uh, many of our students, of course, are in the period now where they're thinking about getting their first job, of course. So, so some I know, and congratulations to those who already secured one. So some are uh, got in a little bit earlier and have secured jobs. And we've been hearing some great stories on, uh, on that. So congratulations to those, uh, those students. And therefore their focus is probably more about how they enter that job, how they grow in that job and, and succeed in that job and build their career. But I think many, for many, they are probably in a recruitment process of, of some sort or embarking on that recruitment process or putting it off. My daughter, you know, has been, my daughter's in a funny year of undergraduate. She's been putting it off as long as possible. And now she's realized that she's got to get, get going and she's missed all the graduate schemes. Uh, I'm sure she'll do great. Um, but it'd be good to get your reflection, maybe putting yourself back to the recruitment process. You know, what, what are you, any kind of reflections you have in finding a job, um, you know, uh, getting that, you're know, securing that job and the process of kind of getting that, that job. But did you have to kiss a lot of frogs to find your princess along the way? Uh, what kind of happened? So, you know, share, share some of your reflections about that side of things and, you know, some, some that could be useful for the current students uh, in terms of what, what they, realistically, what they need to go through to, to get a job and also, you know, uh, how it worked for you. Who would like to, to go first? Uh I'll go first. Uh, I, I mean, for me, the challenge was because just like everyone else on the panel, I, I started in a completely different field. I started in aerospace engineering. I was working on rockets. And from there to moving to innovation and technology management and then back into mechanical engineering to do PhD, I was in a bit of a flux by the end of it. I wasn't sure if I wanted to carry on in engineering, keep on working on some more uh, sort of mechanical uh, engineering areas in automotive engineering or move to consultancy or carry on in academia. And what I realized is uh, I, I took a lot of time. I took a couple of months to think it through. And I realized that I can always come back to things like academia five, six years down the line. Uh, I do need to go and experience the uh, so to speak, uh, the commercial side of the business, the side that I've been researching in my, my studies, but I haven't really worked in at all. And, and in terms of what you should be doing as, as people going out looking for jobs, uh, I have hired seven people in this year in my team, right from project managers to data scientists to uh, senior developers. And what I have realized that skills and degrees are not the same thing. So when you are trying to go to the market, A, you have to really think it through how it fits in your scheme of things. Don't think about planning for next 10 years, but do think about what you want to do in next two to three years. And when you're pitching yourself to a business or to a university or to whatever, or even if you're going back and uh, taking part in your own family business, you have to always make that distinction between your skill set and your degrees. Because 
as long as you can demonstrate that you have the skill and willingness to acquire new skills, uh, people would hire you, irrespective of whether your degree fits the exact criteria that they are looking for. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Good, good, uh, good reflection. Krupa, from, from your side, uh, given what you went through, I guess one is joining the startup and then second, having to find a job under... Yes. Pretty hard um, time yeah, it's all it's all still really fresh because I obviously had to go through two recruitment processes. One was with a startup and one was with an incumbent. So it was two very different approaches and methods. But I just want to say maybe like as a as a foundational um, piece of advice or, or even just like a piece of thought is um, I learned from the first I learned a lot from the first recruitment process into my second. And that being uh, we now live in a world where um, a lot of our CVs and resumes are being crunched by algorithms. And it's very disheartening when you do get a, you know, like a, like a no reply email, which is a rejection. Then um, it's essentially a bot that's doing it. There isn't a human being that's actually gone through your CV and said that this person's not fit for the role. So um, I learned that the hard way the first time around, but I was, I was fortunate because I had a set of skills that I brought in from my engineering bachelor's degree into the space um, um, satellite startup, which was very attractive to them. And I'll get into more details maybe later, but a lot of the skills that I learned on ITM also helped me during the interview process. But the second time round, I changed my CV completely. Um, I tailor-made my uh, cover letters to suit the job descriptions, um, used the particular keywords uh, that would then be like pulled out as tags during the crunching um, process. And I think that definitely um, secured me a lot more wins in terms of the interviews I got. Um, and obviously it translated only to the one job that I've had today. Uh, but I think it's really important now that you and, and trust me, I was when I was in Bath, I was super lazy. I used one cover letter for <laughs> all the job applications. And I was like, I cannot be bothered. So it was a very generic cover letter that I just changed the name, changed the, 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 the header, um, same way with my CV. Um, but I got away with it. Um, but the second time round, I, 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 I was obviously in a very desperate position because I had the 60 days um, and I had no time to lose. So um, that really... I found that that was a big difference um, for me, but just in terms of the interview process, uh, given that because it was a space industry and a satellite company, it was very domain specific. So I had to go in really understanding um, the job that I was going to do, this, the sector that I was going to work in uh, more on the uh, on the engineering and technical front, and then follow up with how I can actually tap the value of the work that we do um, in a much broader sense, given that the space industry is seeing such a boom at the moment. So that's, that's, that's all I'll say over here, but I, I can touch on more points later. And then question to you, and then we'll come to Rick maybe next as well. A key consideration for you, as you said, was finding a company that was prepared to sponsor a tier two mm -hmm. visa. Did you yeah. get a lot of rejections because of that, that basically, you know, out of the, but they weren't prepared to consider that or tell me yeah. about, was that limiting your market and how did you make sure that you secured that? A hundred percent. I'm sure the, I'm sure everyone on call who is an immigrant or requires a tier two knows that, our options are already slashed in half. Um, as, as I mean, uh, all my European friends and, and, and English friends and British friends, they had a much larger uh, pot to play with, uh, whereas we significantly had a much lesser number. And the really frustrating thing is that a lot, not a lot of them specify um, whether they can or can't sponsor, so you just have to give it a shot. Um, and then they sometimes specifically sponsor only for certain roles because 
um, you know, without going into too much detail, but the government themselves have norms as to which uh, they prefer to have um, skilled workers from other countries in certain jobs versus having the preference to give it to a local um, or other European. Um, so we really don't know that at the start. Um, so you really just have to spend all your time and energy um, sending your CVs out everywhere. Uh, and you do get rejections. Sometimes you don't know whether it's because of your nationality or sometimes you don't know whether it's because you just don't have what it takes for them. Um, so it's a bit frustrating, it's kind of disheartening, but I would just say don't, um, it's, it's what it is. Um, uh, and we just have to accept that this is how things work. And um, especially now with Brexit, I think things have changed, uh, could possibly have changed for the better, but we're still yet to know because now it's a level playing field uh, with regards to the recruitment process. But again, I don't know what that actually implies um, for the coming years, but we just have to, we just have to, just have to give it a go. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, Peter, if I can quickly come in on Krupa's point around tier two, because I'm on tier two visa as okay. well. Um, so when I joined my consultancy, they didn't have a sponsorship agreement or license, uh, but they liked me well enough to go through that process and get themselves the certificate and then sponsor me. So uh, Krupa's point is really important. You need to reach out to these organizations before you burn all your energy tailoring a CV and cover letter for them. Just reach out and find out whether they are willing to sponsor it. Uh, and and if, you, if you have the requisite skills, believe me, they will go through the pain because they want you, uh, because you can bring the value that they need. I mean, we have gone through it three, four times because we just found the right candidate. Just don't hesitate. Uh, do not feel like you cannot reach out to the recruiter or somebody in the organization asking about, hey, I'm I want to apply for this role. Here's my background. I think I'm a really good fit. But here are the things that, you know, I need a sponsorship or I need this sort of work environment, whatever it is. Reach out, uh, start the communication process before you burn two, three days tailoring a cover letter and CV for them. Yeah, I think, you know, if I can just add to that as well. Um, obviously, you know, for this year, it's going to be different with the post-study work visa details of that we're still waiting to find out and they probably won't be published before the 6th of April deadline so there's all sorts of things going on with that visa um, but you know to build on Danish's point there I've worked with two companies in Bath this year who have taken students on on internships uh, as part of their tier four visa and then really wanted to keep them I think the important thing is to think what what can you offer that company and if you can offer something that means they're prepared to go through the pain of getting a visa, and it is quite a painful process if you haven't done it before, um, they'll quite happily do that. But if you can't offer something different to somebody else who, who you know, doesn't need the visa, then path of least resistance, uh, you know, a company is likely to take that path. But if you can identify as, you know, Krupa, you clearly had a very sort of niche set of skills and we're able to demonstrate that, well, then it's like, fine, no problem. I'll, I'll hire you and I'll, and I'll go through that pain of getting a visa. So it really is thinking about your individual offering and, and making sure you're highlighting the right things to the company. Yeah, no, thank you, Sarah. Yeah, very good, uh, good points. Uh, Rick, it's interesting, your, what was, how was your situation? I mean, you, you ended up, you know, E&Y and then headhunted by KPMG, you know, two very big, uh, you know, very popular companies to work for, you know, what, how did you secure a job, uh, first of all, with EMY uh, to start with, you know, what, tell us the story there. 
Yeah, so I think well, like, during my time in Bath, I knew I was uh, quite passionate about two things. The first thing uh, is around talking to people, uh, solving a problem. And the second aspect is really around uh, doing the hands-on coding, technical, um, analytical work. So the, yeah, so like uh, after graduate or like um, during my time at uh, ITM, uh, you know, we had loads of uh, kind of campus recruitment events. So I attended one of those and EY back in the days, they were like offering a very good uh, uh, kind of consulting graduate scheme focused on um, data analytics. So I just uh, applied for a job, went through uh, the kind of a, a standard application process. I think for large organizations, the process is uh, a lot more kind of standard, uh, which means, you know, you will go through the, uh, the kind of online uh, CV screening process. Then you need to like sit uh, in a kind of psychometric test um, before they'll put you through like the first round and second round of um, interviews. So I think uh, the first two rounds is about getting your CV, your resume uh, identified. So I think uh, to the point uh, mentioned by the other um, alumni, uh, using some buzzwords uh, are very helpful um, because uh, it does catch the attention of uh, um, either the kind of computer who's doing uh, the job of screening or the person who's doing the job screening. Um, well, like um, in my case, for example, like now when I hire people, if I see the buzzwords like Python machine learning, I would immediately assume this particular guy or lady is smart. So, um, uh, so like on that um, aspect, having those buzzwords on the CV is very, very helpful. And uh, in terms of the standard numerical test, well, like um, I'm sure we, uh, when you apply for a job like in the uh, investment bank, you will need to do a very similar sort of test as well. So those kind of things uh, actually can be practiced. So there are loads of online resources, but like uh, I'm sure uh, in, uh, you know, in Bath, we have loads of online resources available to help students practice, prep for those kind of tests. And, you know, it's a numbers game. The more you do it, the, uh, and the kind of, a, um, and, uh, and the kind of a, well, the better you will get. And uh, when it comes to interview, it's, you know, uh, I think, uh, um, you know, it's a, uh, yes, we are applying for a job, but it's also important to show your strengths, show the values you can bring to a company. So uh, although for those large organizations, they uh, automatically um, like uh, um, assume that all the graduates are a blank canvas, but being able to show your potential, showing your uh, knowledge around international culture, uh, international business, uh, you know, is very, very um, important and uh, very kind of uh, um, helpful. So uh, I know like a few uh, of the ITMs or like um, EBM students have already secured like a job offer either with uh, one of the big four firms or uh, EY. So I think uh, they've done it really, really well. I think although uh, I, uh, uh, ITM or EBM were Kind of designed to train engineers with management skills, but surprisingly, many skills are very much transferable in professional services. So I think uh, with large organization at the beginning, just keep practicing, 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 and uh, I'm sure uh, we'll be able to land somewhere. Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you, Rick. So I'm going to shift chats a little bit in a moment to talking a little bit about skills. So, you know, so maybe I'll come back to Peter and Carl and Varun on what they see as the necessary skills in their in their roles and, and looking forward but maybe we could just pause if there are any questions that any of the students have so far more about this stage which is you know thinking about you know applying for jobs your know, visas and all that kind of process of securing that first position before we move on to the skill side so any 
any questions on the chat uh, or any anyone like to come off mute or anyone want to share any perspectives that you have those of you in the middle of a recruitment process or one of you that have recently secured a job you know in terms of to add to to the experiences of our alumni The chat has been quiet so far, Peter, really but uh, this is unusual, let's see. Right? Are they still it, is, it is, it is. They, they are, they are. We have more than we started with. So people are <laughs> joining. Let's give everybody a minute. Yeah. So any questions or comments from the, uh, from the students? Or we'll just continue onwards. I'm, I'm going to jump in and say something else. Um, just regarding, as, as Rick just mentioned, there are lots of resources to help you. So if you are finding the tests difficult or you're just not getting through that very first initial sift for some reason that's exactly the time that you need to come and speak to me it's so frustrating if, if students come right at the end of the year saying oh I tried everything and I didn't get anywhere and I think oh why didn't you come and see me sooner um, as soon as you come and see me then we can start identifying you know what support you might need and identifying the resources that can help you so that's my tuppenny worth, but I can see um, Maddie's no not a in the chat well. now. But, but Terry, you must be pretty, feeling very proud because I think a lot of the message you've been sharing with the students over the last few months, of course, you're hearing echoed from our panelists, right? But you know, analysing the job, looking for those keywords, customising your CV, you know, your cover letter. Anyone would think I'd paid this set of panelists, you, you know, because they yeah. are so on message. It's fabulous. <laughs> yes. So, uh, yeah, Maddie, interesting point for you. Maybe you could expand a little bit. So you said one of the biggest things the hiring manager told you was that you stood out because of your use of technology platforms within the interviews. Can you expand what, what type of technology platforms are you referring to in the assessment centre? Yeah, so they had um, their own sort of company internet set up, um, which was sort of very similar to Zoom. And one of the features was being able to share your screen and put up a whiteboard and also use the chat function, almost like a Zoom call. So I think the practice that we've had in being put in groups in um, EBM and ITM um, really helped there because I immediately went to, OK, we're discussing it was the sort of typical desert island. Here are your 16 items, rank them. And there's six boys and me in a room and the boys are all just going at it sort of thing and we um I decided to use the chat function so when we agreed on one I noted that down using the chat so that everyone could see it and then moving on to a more I was going for a bidding role um so we were having to come up with a very very quick bid for a project and I put up a whiteboard and was writing on the whiteboard as we were having the discussion so that everyone could see the notes. And then when we went forward to our presentation for our bid, then everyone could refer back to the whiteboard rather than just everyone having their own notes and no one having a clear picture of the plan. And they said that that was something they weren't really looking for our skills at being able to do this task. They wanted to see how we approached it and the fact that being able to show the skills that we've been doing in class and working together in a group, especially at the beginning of the course where we didn't know anyone, being able to sort of manage that was really the skill that they were looking for more than anything. Yeah. No, thanks for sharing, Maddie. You know, I, I fully, you know, I, I mentioned that in one of the sessions we had, you know, the, the when you're ranking something or doing an exercise, the people who are assessing really aren't that interested whether what you put one or six or 10 or whatever, they're interested in the process you go through to get there and they look out for the leaders 
the people who organize things, structure, you know, get on top of things, and they're the ones that stand out. So that's a great, great example of that. Um, Laura, yeah, from your experience, uh, once you go through the first few hoops, companies are much more concerned with hiring an actual human with a personality rather than being too technically focused. Yeah, very good point. You need to get past those bots first, right? Once you can get past those, um, then it's the human side. Anything else you want to add, uh, Laura, off, off mute to, to share on that? Yeah, I just think from mine, like I was getting invitations to like assessment centers and I hadn't even spoken to like a single person. Whereas the companies who actually made the time to do telephone interviews and interviewed kind of more face-to-face, -face, even though it was online, became much more clear that they were the kind of companies that, because they were also using interviewers who were, you know, gone through the same scheme that I'd um, applied for. So essentially they were looking for people that they could get on with. And in my assessment center, um, after it, the feedback that she gave was actually, 90% of the time she was actually just looking at so she specifically gave us breaks where we could just chat or go get a cup of tea or whatever and she was like that was just as important me listening into the breaks to see how you actually interact with people in a relaxed setting than it was necessarily <laughs> because everyone's you know you've got your degree or you're going to get your degree and they you've already done the technical side of things they know that but it's more about actually can we see this person getting on within the team yeah, that's interesting. Never let your guard down, right? So you might think in a break, okay, now it's a break, I can be the real me, and then I'll put back on the interview me afterwards, but actually that break was exactly what's telling a lot. So it's a good a good point. Can, can I just add to that? Yeah, we, we did that a lot at, at Hewlett Packard. We, we uh, had formal interviews in the morning and the afternoon, and then someone sort of took them out for lunch. And that was informal, but absolutely they were asked their opinion afterwards about that person so so yeah you're on show all the, all the time um but in the same time you know in a way you you want to be honest and authentic there because you can't keep up that pretense forever and uh, and who would want to to be in a job where you need to be a different person in order to do the job it's just not sustainable and, and to Steve's point, uh, I always do second interviews as lunches. So I would take the person who has gone through the first interview, I'll take them out for a lunch and just in a relaxed environment. The idea is that I understand their personality, right? I mean, something that uh, Rick said earlier, I'm just looking for someone who can solve problems. You know, the skills we can require, we can train you, but do you have the right attitude? I know it's a bit of a cliche, but that's really important. That uh, especially if you have made it through the first stage, that you, you demonstrate that, you know, you're up for the challenge. Yeah, thanks, Dinesh. I, I uh, actually completely agree with uh, Steve and uh, Danish both because uh, uh, now that I've been in the business now for the last one and a half years, I've been doing a fair share of recruitment myself. Um, I've been uh, trying to collect different uh, profiles as to uh, different areas where we can uh, fill in. And more than the hard skills, more than what I see on the physical CV, I focus on what the person, like how the person actually is. Uh, in fact, most times I've noticed that when a CV looks really good on paper, when they have like all the required skills that, I've, that I would ideally need them to have, when I, when I do meet the person, it's really bad. It's really, really bad. But whereas... If I if I meet if I if I person when I with them, 
I would uh, fully agree with everything until the last point. You know, I do think you can learn and develop soft skills, of course. Uh, it, is, it is possible. You're right that some people may naturally have got some traits that make it right. maybe give right. them a head start. But I, I do, and right. I have seen people absolutely develop right. the, um, the, the, the soft skills. But I, I fully agree. Those are the ones that are often the differentiating factor. Right. As you've heard right. me bang on a lot about on the, uh, the programme. So. <laughs> yeah, I remember that we had a... We had a big discussion about that whether you can learn soft skills or develop soft skills uh, or not and I actually I was on the same of the same opinion as Varun that that you you might can extend them but you can can completely learn them but I've been uh, taught otherwise <laughs> are you you've been taught that so I, I brainwashed you towards that what are you, you talk a little bit about skills for you you know Carl in your in your industry that you're seeing you know uh, what what sort of skills do you think you would need to what are important and what would you need to develop and then if they're soft skills do you feel you can develop them or again are you feeling that that's something that's more difficult because you're you know because of your personality or the way you are so I think um Definitely the soft skills, these are the ones who decide at the end um, about your, your the high, in the hiring process. Um, we, have, we all have very good education. We have very good training. Some of them have a better technical um, uh, background and so on, but that's, that doesn't matter. In my opinion, the soft skills, the, these are key. Um, and especially also at the, in the hiring process, at the end, on the, it's decided on the personal level. Um, in my opinion, for my job role is, um, I think, creativity and problem solving. That's the most important um, part of, of everything else. Um, there are so many people who find problems. They, and they, they depict them and they say, yeah, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. Oh, there's a risk and there's a risk. Well, and then you are at a point where you say, okay, well, let's rather not do it. But then there are people, and these are very unique, who find actually a solution to these problems or an alternate way or something. And this, these, are, these are the business makers, in my opinion. Um, and that is important to, to have, or yeah, to be creative, to think out of the box and so on um, in order to move on. Um, and... That is why I think this this is the most important um, well yeah so, skill that you can that you can bring into into a company. Um, of course, also as a project manager, communication management, monitoring that's also very important. And we we do um, had a very good training on that uh, during the the masters classes. Um, and uh, it's great to apply all these uh, all these uh, knowledges and um, yes, but the soft skills are the decisive ones. Thanks, Carl. Peter, now from your perspective, then, so you kind of went from 
the ITM into the finance banking world uh, and then now back more to technology. Do you see a very different set of skills required in your current role then compared to what you saw in banking? And you know, how do you see those you know, uh, requirements changing in the future, in, uh, both in terms of you grow your career in, in the company? Um, I, think, I think inherently due to the nature of both businesses, the skills are very different. Um, I, I would M and A investment banking is a totally different beast than a, a tech startup. Um, in terms of how that reflects now, and both in my hiring process, is that when I applied for the investment bank, it was a very stringent set of um, check, a very stringent checklist you need to you know you need to, you need to follow. Uh, and they're very focused on your your hard skills. Yes, what you add in your soft skills. But also your your attitude, the way you come across, uh, they screen you throughout you know, all these tests and things. Whereas in the when you go into the technology sector, it's it's different. It's I feel it's more soft skills. Uh, and for me, for my role, it's how to how you can manage technology projects and also how you kind of uh, translate the technology to to the other side, to the finance world. So. It's, it's, it's in, for me, uh, I think for me, what, what I think is important, whatever role you take, is that you accentuate the things you have that are your benefits. For example, for me, it was my combination of engineering background. I studied system engineering and ITM, my innovative mindset, which I learned on, 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 on ITM. And I think I translated that in both roles correctly. And that is kind of the also where the advice I would like to give to people. Yes, there's a checklist and yes, there's all these tests and yes, you have to get your CV. But no, don't forget what your strengths are and play those strengths because I did not get hired in finance because it was the best at, 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 at finance. I didn't even study finance. But I, but I used my kind of technical background to kind of say why I would be a very good employee and why I could work hard and, and why my vision on things would be another vision and help the company. So I think that is a skill set. Do, 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 I, do I answer your question correctly, Peter? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, I fully understand. And do, and do you think looking forward that you will have to develop new skills? So what, what, are your, what do you see yourself doing in three to five years in your role? And do you think there are new skills you need to develop or what, what are your thoughts there? Yes, because um, yeah, and the more the more senior you get, the more different your skill set becomes. When I started, it was soft skills, hardworking and listening, and especially your attitude and hardworking was very important, especially in M&A. Yeah. <laughs> um, late nights, as you can imagine. Um, the moment I moved towards technology, I got myself into a kind of a more management position in terms of that I was facilitating the conversation between the financial service who knew nothing about technology and my and my and, and my developers who were like very technical so that's a totally different skill and i envision myself going forward that the more, the more clients i have and the more projects i have to manage the more kind of your 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 people skills become important your management skills your project skills so the things that were important to me before just hard working get your head down and tie your hair up and just work doesn't work anymore because I have to be efficient and think, okay, what do I outsource and what not? So your, I think your skills also change with how you grow. Um, and the things that I learned in the beginning, you have, that, that's my experience. Um, but I think, I think, don't, don't forget, it is, 
especially in the beginning of a career, it's, it's uncertain for everybody and it's just hard work and it's just lots of uncertainty. And I remember when I was applying to things, I was feeling like, oh God, this is never going to work. But actually in the end, it works out for everybody. So, and that kind of, no matter where in your career you get, you, um, you know, it, it will always be a matter of uncertainty, especially in COVID times. You don't know if you're going to get fired because there's no money or it does, it's not always up to you what happens. So just kind of keep your mindset, keep cool. And what are the things that I bring to the table and just outline them wherever you are and you'll, you'll get somewhere. I think no matter how your skill set changes, that's important. Um, yeah. For me. Yeah. Well, philosophical. Wise words. Yeah. Sometimes it can look uh, very uncertain, but you know, as you say, just stick it out and you'll find it will normally will work out in a good, uh, good way. Um, uh, Steve, go ahead. You've got a, a question you'd like to add, I think, as well, to the to the panel. Yeah. Um, well, actually, firstly, just a bit of uh, reassurance, just as Pete now said. I mean, obviously, there are never any guarantees, but I have lost count of the number of uh, students I've in had interactions with that have said, you know, I'm never going to get a job. It's never going to work. And then sort of, you know, six months later, they land themselves in the job that they want. So, you know, have faith. <laughs> you obviously have to sort of put some work into it yourself, but um you know it, it, these things do do come along if you have if you go into it with the right attitude the other thing I, I what i was going to say was that um one of the things i always do when i'm interviewed i know i've been interviewing a long time now um we look for evidence for positive evidence of activities and traits that it is that we're looking for so if you know if we're looking for i don't know leadership um, or conflict management or negotiation or whatever it is that we're doing we look for our interview subjects not just to construct a hypothetical case you know if I was to do this then this is what I would do but it's like what have you actually done you know give me an example from your career and to this end obviously the students at the moment some of you have had industrial experience but a lot of you haven't had that much and I just wanted to sort of make the point that your uh your course is actually a really good place to get some of these experiences you know to get this kind of uh, working with a team challenging situation didn't know how to manage it we got over it and um, and and we succeeded and this is perhaps a bit of an unfair question but I, I wanted to ask our alumni panel is there anything that you particularly remember from your course that was a kind of good type of experience that you could then take with you into job interviews and said you know this is what happened this is how we managed it and this is an example of what I could bring to a career. Um, if I may Steve I think immediately after you said that the um, Rolls-Royce defense practice track it was a fantastic three months um, with my team and, and of course Rolls-Royce defense is it needs no introduction um, it was a fantastic opportunity to work on a very, very complex, complex project management in a very, very bureaucratic incumbent firm that was looking to really move away from their old ways to, to embrace technology, embrace digitalization. Um, they obviously have their own methods of working, but they wanted to break away from that and they wanted some convincing. They wanted convincing on, um, you know, can you show us the way and how we might be able to actually achieve. And obviously there was a, there's a particular aspect that we're working on, but this was just the general philosophy um, of the entire company. 
And I use that a lot in, in, um, in my interviews. And I think I, I spoke about it in my cover letter as well. Um, and I think that I had a few questions like, tell me what you did for Rolls Royce or tell me what, um, take me through the, the practice track. And I really leveraged the work that we did. Um, of course, it was a joint effort. It wasn't just me, it was uh, about four of us um, across functional EBM and ITM as well. Um, but I think it really demonstrated um, the application of the skills that we learned um, over the course of those 10 months. Uh, and then the last um, uh, two and a half months is the actual application. And I think that stood out um, during my interview. So that was very crucial. Yeah, um, uh, sorry. Yeah, if I might add that no matter your, your degree, no matter kind of if you if you do not have business experience, if they ask for if they have a question like show your particular skill with a particular experience, and even if they do say business experience, you can answer that with a personal experience or a project experience from class. That is also correct. Uh, for example, I have used um, you know sporting. Uh, yeah, for, I, I rode 100 kilometers during my bachelor's, for example. Everyone, due to the fact that everyone's human, has these experiences. You can use them to demonstrate uh, skills. And also, for, especially for the ITMers and the EBMers, you have something unique, which the others don't have, which is that you solve problems. And you have had courses and projects where you find innovative solutions for a problem. I'm not going to ask you which ones, because there have been many. I know Steve. So... I know how we've gone with many funky solutions to funky problems. If you tell this to your in your interview, they are very they are interested in knowing that because that is not something you learn in normal course. So I would just say like that is something really cool to bring to the table, even if it's not an industry experience. If you talk, for example, if we talk about disruption or we kind of came up with some funky app on your fridge to track your food or I don't know, that was actually a really fun conversation. And okay, how did you get there? Well. So I think you can, you're very well entitled to use those experiences as proper examples. Yeah, I, I mean, my uh, building up on that, that's a very interesting point. Uh, for me, the biggest learning from ITM was that uh, I stopped thinking that people had the same skill sets that I had. I came from engineering background. And when we, Steve would set a problem for us, I would just assume that people were as uh, you know, familiar with concepts you know, from engineering sciences as I was. And I found it really frustrating to work with people from management background because I just felt like, well, you do not have the requisite skills. You don't know what you're talking about. Let me show you how to do it. And you realize very, very soon that that's not the right attitude. You wouldn't go anywhere in life with that sort of attitude. You can find something of value from everyone else's experience. And you end up learning from that. You end up learning from people with different backgrounds. And that's partly the beauty of ITM course. So I think you all of you should make this point in your interviews that, listen, I have worked with people from 50, 60 different countries as part of this uh, unique group. And, uh, you know, uh, that, that just teaches you the value of uh, having a diverse set of ideas in the room and how you can bring it all together to solve problems. That's the key word. You are a problem solver. Exactly. That is what we also had in, in um, well, besides my, my dissertation with Tetra Pak about um, agile management, especially that teamwork we had. I mean, it is quite challenging. I think we all remember that. 
and but it gives you so much experience about working with uh, different uh, people together that is i think the most well one of the most biggest benefits uh, what i've learned um during my time in bath um and as well i mean pete and steve you were always recommending and talking about the culture map book well i have never read it during in Bath, I always say, okay, yeah, let them talk about the book. I was more focused on the pubs and so on. But uh, actually, I, now I've read it and it is really helpful. Yeah, just to add to that point. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, in reality, we don't always get to work with our friends or you know, people we're getting on with. And very often we need to adapt our working style, or even personality uh, to a specific uh, circumstance. And I think like a team-based approach uh, implemented in ITM and I believe in EBM as well, uh, you know, um, address, you know, this real life challenge really well. And I think like students in uh, ITM, EBM uh, usually comes from a variety of different culture backgrounds and which means clashes and arguments during teamwork can sometimes be inevitable. But uh, um, as much as it may present itself as a challenge, uh, this kind of a, a teamwork environment really offers kind of students a good, a great opportunity to learn to appreciate differences in culture and working styles. And so like we can be really, really pre um, sort of prepared mentally rather than um, expecting a homogeneous teamwork uh, kind of dynamics. Uh, ITM students can usually acquire like, uh, like, well, like a kind of mindset where they expect people to be different and have a different opinion. And I think in today's corporate world, uh, that's definitely a must uh, have quality. And in my own case, I know I definitely acquired this quality from Steve's uh, team-based approach from ITM. Uh, so to basically build on Danish, Carl and uh, Rick's points, I actually faced a very similar uh, challenge while I was uh, on the practice track. Uh, I was doing a project with Tetra Pak with my team and uh, so the biggest challenge for me was that all my other teammates had a mechanical engineering background and my background was finance uh, and like marketing finance. So the biggest challenge I would face with them is that they would have a very technical approach towards solving all the problems. And I would have a very commercial approach towards solving the problems. I, they would want to make the thing perfect from like ground zero. They want to build like the perfect software, the perfect tool. And I just wanted to make it the most financially viable one. So on like those points, we had many arguments because the different mindsets we came from, right? Uh, but then that really taught me that this is what life is. Like this is what you have to get used to because you're never going to see people with the same mindset as you. You have to take uh, pros from them and give your own pros and then make it into something that's actually valuable. And that's what this course really taught me because uh, I think over the entire year, we had uh, different teamwork exercises in like different courses and all throughout we had different team members. So it was very challenging at first, you know, get to get used to everyone's pace and to sort of make a combined decision on things. But then by the end of it, we actually managed to do a very good job with our uh, practice track, especially. And that's what changed my perspective that no matter, no matter what uh, viewpoints people may have, you can always try to make sense of it. And if you just have your uh, 
uh, group goal in mind, you can very easily do it. And that's what this course has really taught me to do. Great, thank you. I, it's, uh, I could, I've got uh, goosebumps uh, literally hearing some stories. I'm like a proud, a proud father. I can imagine how Steve is feeling. I've been involved with this for a decade. It must be. Uh, it's great to hear. That's no, great. To, and we, you know, thank you for sharing those um, those stories. You know, and, and as you say, you know, group work is always something that's quite interesting on on the course, and it does create some problems and tensions with people having different perspectives and you know someone's not you know that particular period feel like they're not pulling their weight or they have a different viewpoint or i can't get on with them or they're late to the meetings and um but you know hopefully you've sent you know, the skills that you learned on the course will help you in the real world because that unfortunately is the real world you know fortunately yeah. and unfortunately actually it's both you know it is the real world that you're you're in so hopefully you feel a little bit better equipped and, and it's great to hear those stories uh, uh as well so sarah you had to have some reflection well, I've just got a question, actually, because I think it's really interesting, some of the points that you've made there about the skills that the course helped you develop. And I know that a lot of you are sort of been in a position where you've been hiring individuals. And I just wondered if we could translate some of that into some really practical advice for the students in terms of how they might be able to demonstrate those competencies in applications. So how, you know, what, what would you look for in an application that might make you think, oh, that person has got that ability to work in a diverse team or that individual does know how to solve a problem. So if you could just say something, you know, on a practical basis, how could that translate into an application? I think that'd be helpful. So maybe we start with Danish then first. I know you've been, you've literally been hiring people, quite a few yeah. people over the last year, as you say. So what would you look for that would demonstrate those sorts of things? So, um, I would, uh, so for example, I'll give you an example. Uh, we advertised for a position uh, for an entry-level data scientist. And, but at the same time, I had a Skunk Works project going on in my head. We've been working on this mobile development project. And I had that in my mind. So when, whenever I was look, reading someone's CV, I would look for that one paragraph that they write about. And I'm looking for two things. A, can they solve problems? I know it's a bit of a cliche, but you have to be able to solve problems. It doesn't matter if you do not have the requisite experience or skill set. As long as you are willing to try and learn new things, you can solve it. It is very difficult to inculcate that attitude. It can be done, but when you, know, you are actually working in a business environment, you do not have time for that. You do that in your ITM course. You learn how to solve problems and then you come to us. So I'm looking for that. And second thing I'm looking for is your willingness to stretch yourself, right? So it's a bit of a business jargon, but your willingness to do something which might not be exactly captured in your academic background and your professional background, but you're willing to give it a go, right? You're like, okay, I'm not a mobile app developer or I'm not a data scientist, but I have my background in computer sciences and I'm willing to pick up some stats and master it. But you know what, Danish, I'm going to be a better computer programmer than anyone else on your team. Right. So as long as you're demonstrating you can solve problems and you're willing to stretch yourself, I'm definitely going to talk to you. Whether you get the job or not, that almost becomes secondary. I'm interested in this person. Then. So would that be in terms of a CV, like an entry on the CV of, you know, a team project they've worked on where they actually demonstrate that? Because one of my bugbears is when you have that paragraph at the top of a CV and it says, I'm a brilliant problem solver. I've got excellent- Oh yeah, no, you wouldn't be, no, you wouldn't be taken seriously if you start praising yourself. Uh, it's, it's a thin line in describing your qualities and coming off as a narcissistic buffoon. So you have <laughs> to make sure that you are, you know, you're on the other side of the line. And yeah, so you write three, four lines about yourself. Tell me what you have done. 
and, and, and give me, uh, you know, an indication of that, you know, you can solve problems and you, you're willing to stretch yourself. And then when you're talking about ITM course, where you're writing, you know, four or five lines, give me an example there to demonstrate that, hey, listen, I've done this. I've worked with people from different continents. There was a lot of tension in the team, but we managed to work around. And this, is the, this was the outcome of the process. It's very important that you just don't talk about what you did, but also what was the outcome. Yeah, I think there's another thing I picked up there, which I think is quite interesting, which is, which I also observe when I'm hiring. You know, when you get someone that's got a set of skills and you start to get a picture of that person, but then they demonstrate that they put themselves out of their comfort zone. There's something, there's an activity, an outcome, a task that clearly was stretching themselves in a different yeah. way. That's quite interesting. Exactly. It makes you think, well, they can go out of their comfort zone. They can learn new things. They're not one dimensional. So that's an interesting as well. I would suggest, you know, what are those things that really will make you stand out with someone who's prepared to go out of your comfort zone and do something different? And that may be something like, you know, rowing 100 kilometers, you know, in your undergraduate. Oh, yeah. I would definitely want to talk to someone who has run 100K. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. uh, I, I struggled with the marathon. Was it road or run 100 kilometers, Peter Nell? It was rowing. Rowing. Yeah. Which is equally <laughs> It was, it was quite a talk because at one point uh, I was sitting in an interview and they asked, so you've uh, won a sprint at 100 meters? I was like, no, it was a, it was a K there, kilometers. Those kind of things just make your interview because by the time you get to your interview, they know you've got the right skills. They've already kind of screened you. They've seen 100 CVs. So it's like by the time you're there, it's just about your kind of just engaging someone positively in these things. So I think that's quite a funny one. As you said, the lunch test. I I will just make one more point, which is very critical for me. Uh, And it's a strong word, but don't lie on your CVs. Don't claim to be able to do something that you cannot. Be very, very transparent because, you know, uh, right now, if you advertise for one role, even, you know, entry-level position, you end up getting 300, 400 applications. So if we are filtering you through, we are bringing three or four people. It has taken us some time investment to go through those things and find these people. And then we find out, well, actually you said that on your CV, but you don't really have that sort of experience. And then it becomes very unpleasant. Well, I have a slightly different opinion to that, Danish. So I think uh, <laughs> on a CV, one thing you need to put the things you have done, but you you should also put the things you want to do, because like uh, normally you have like a um, ten to fifteen days between your application and the time when you are actually invited to an interview. Use those ten days to learn those new skills, and by the time you are invited to like a for like real job interview, you'll be pre- you know well, like you'll be able to present to your um um uh, relative to interview that yes you know i you know um i well, like i don't have extensive experience in well, like uh, in a particular field but i you know try to use this 10 days you know to acquire this new skill which is really really positive because like in reality uh, no one knows everything, and I acquire most of my kind of technical skills uh, through on the job learning rather than learn uh like knowing them beforehand so putting something that you want to do on your cv is important as well yeah, so just to make the distinction clear there, it's fine for you to say that you're going to learn Ruby or Java or JavaScript, right? And then in 10 days later, when you come in the interview, you have that. I meant more in the sense that you claim that, you know, you have managerial experience and you're used to managing people. And then you show up and I set you a problem and it becomes very transparent to me that you don't. 
right? And, and, and then it's just unpleasant for everyone involved. Yes, and then I'm going to tell all other people in my network that you've got to watch out for this person. They're looking for such roles. Just stay away. <laughs> Excellent. Be careful with Danish uh, if you, uh, when you apply. Uh, thank you for, for sharing that. Let's open up to some questions, then I'll, we'll wrap up with the final uh, questions I have. So there's a question actually to you, Danish, uh, uh, on, the, on the chat. So wh- oh. why, why did you choose to have some time off after you graduated? And were you torn between finding and sec- or securing a job and getting your PhD? Um, well, I was very lucky, actually, when I finished ITM course, um, I went back home for a month and I managed to get a job in Hong Kong with Standard Chartered. They wanted me to come and join them as, a, uh, as an analyst. They were working with Boeing back in the day and they wanted someone with uh, technical experience in aerospace to come and work with them. Uh, but by then, Stu had brainwashed me into doing research. Uh, <laughs> So uh, I was like, okay. And because my background was in rocketry sciences, I had to go through something called academic, uh, academic technology approval scheme, essentially demonstrate to UK government that, you know, I'm not here to learn how to build a nuclear missile and then go away and start building those for India. Essentially, that's the process. So that ended up taking me five, six months to get clearance from the government uh, before I could start my PhD. Otherwise, I would have come and started. Uh, yeah, but but I was lucky that I could get a job after ITM, uh, which is which is which tells you a lot about the course. Great, thank you. So let's open up if there are any more questions before we uh, wrap up. Time has absolutely flown. We've got another uh, ten minutes left here. But any any questions that you have now to any of the, the alumni then on uh, anything that we covered or any advice uh, overall from the students? Drop it on the chat or uh, come off mute. scared them into quite to silence today uh or or it's been very clear i'll take it that it's been so clear that they uh so a uh, question from edda i think which is which is a good question that many no. of us reflected yeah so yeah did you know what you wanted to do when you graduated let's just do a quick yes or no poll you know, yes no or kind of or maybe the three answers so danish you are no no cooper yes yes uh peter Nell? I had no clue. <laughs> Thank you for the honesty, Carl. No idea. No idea. Rick? 50-50. <laughs> kind of. Varun? Yes. I want to do this since childhood, so don't say that in your interview. <laughs> but in, in my opinion, that's even a good thing if you do not know exactly what you want to do because you are open to everything. And then sometimes, so I have no clue about avi- uh, aviation, and now I ended up in this in this company. So it is it is really sometimes it's really surprising where you end up, and 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 it's it's great to have no idea, and then just look out uh, what's out there, and there is there is a vast um, range of different jobs, different industries. I think it's good not to know. Yeah. yeah. And one thing I'll say, it's really good to know what you do not want to do. So I, I, I knew certainly that I didn't want to go and do a postdoc. Though, and that realization came only after I had actually secured a postdoc. So uh, that, you know, that was immensely helpful. As long as you don't know what you don't want to do, you will be fine. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Good. Um, uh, Peter, I, ha- I have a follow-up question building on what Edda just asked, and I realize it might be a risky one. 
for us as academics, but I'm gonna ask it anyway. So guys, with um, something like six, seven months left in the ITM and EBM programs, and the need to find a job and move on with your lives later on, how would you recommend our students, um, I didn't put their, use the right word, um, invest their time in securing a job offering in the next few months and making the most out of their programs at the same time. I'm asking that because like, I know it can be a very, very stressful period for, for all of you to graduate, do your practice track, do your dissertation and secure a job. So how do you balance those two, especially in semester two and semester three? You've all been there. Um, yeah, thanks, Michaelis. Um, So I was in a very similar situation as well, trying to balance um, the last six months, trying to get a job as well as the coursework. Um, what really helped me was just to start starting to like network, um, talking to people from uh, both like through the through the career guidance process, as well as people that I've known from my past experience work. Um, I was fortunate because I made a lot of connections through companies I worked in in India that rep that were represented in Europe and in the US and in, in, in England. So um, I would I would suggest um, if it's well within your means, invest in LinkedIn Premium. Um, it, it really helps with a lot of free flowing conversation, which does take a lot of your mind when you have to do the coursework because you can just shoot out messages, trying to get in touch with people, which is what I did. Um, and and, and, and you'd be surprised, a lot of them are very receptive. Uh, contact alumni members. Um, I did that. I spoke to a lot of, um, so you know, when you go to a, a company that you're interested in, you can see who's um, studied here from your, from your university. Hit them up. Um, a lot of them, I, a lot of them, I was fortunate enough to get responses from a lot of them. So they either told me, you can do this, you can't do that, or we don't sponsor, I'm sorry. Um, either way, it was, it was extremely helpful just to filter out a lot of uh, what I wanted to do and just give me clarity. Um, so that, that was very helpful as a tool. And I would definitely um, um, recommend that um, in the process while in parallel to the coursework. Just start networking. Thanks, Krupa. Anybody else? Yeah, I, th I think the LinkedIn bit is, is very, very good advice. Uh, I would encourage you to reach out to LMNI and just connect with them. Uh, even if they might not have something that they can immediately help you with, you become part of the network. And I know LinkedIn can be a bit overrated as well, but I think that piece of advice is spot on. You do need to reach out to the alumni and they they will more often than not be receptive. I mean, I accept all the requests or messages that I get from ITMS. And if they ask me for advice, I do get questions every now and then. Hey, Danish, can you help with this? Or can you please have a look at my CV and give me some feedback? I'm always happy to do that. Great. Thank you. We've got a couple in the chat as well. There's got a question for Maddie. So once you've got your roles, how did you go about preparing for working in industry? So I guess this is maybe in the in the period, maybe now if someone secured a role, knowing that you're starting in a few months' time. So any specific advice on getting prepared? Yeah, I would say that reach out to whoever is going to line manage you. And just ask them that, you know, I'm starting in a month. Is there something in particular you would want me to pick up before I join? Or, or if you have done what Rick was advising you earlier, that if you have said claim that you can now code in MATLAB, take time and learn MATLAB. Otherwise, I would be very unhappy if you joined the team and you can't code in MATLAB. 
Thank you. Any other uh, any other uh, recommendations? I would recommend just enjoy the time off. You will be working for the next <laughs> many years. Enjoy that free time. It's very valuable. Yeah, go good, to the uh, beach. good advice. Peter Nell? Go to the beach, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, if only. Although maybe, maybe this summer we might be able to go back to the beach again. So, uh, yeah. Well, yes. I mean... Uh, Will, you had a question. You got your hand up. Uh, yeah, just about. Um, so I'm in at the minute, just looking for different job roles and opportunities. And there's, I'm in a big contention between graduate schemes and um, actual job roles. So like graduate schemes, most of them tie you in for three years with a company, and you go through different aspects of training and whatnot, or to go forth and go into an actual job role and try push yourself into an industry without necessary the scheme set up for a graduate and I just wanted to know from your experience like do you have you seen graduate schemes be a benefit for graduates or is it more of a benefit just to kind of hit the ground running and push yourself into an industry? I would say graduates are usually graduate roles are usually easier to get into if you don't have any industry experience um, and also, if you don't know what you want to do, that's kind of where you learn what you want to do. If you have an exact set of skills for that job role, go with that. Um, yeah, it, it, it depends also on industry, right? So if you want to work in financial industries or professional services industries, and if they do have any graduate schemes on offer, I would strongly recommend that you go that route. But if you want to work in consultancy, yeah, you've you got to join a consultancy and just learn on the job because uh, it's a very different environment. Yeah, I think it depends on industry, right? So if you're looking to join like banking or consulting firms, I think like those industries, um, grass scheme is very good because like you because like you have like loose opportunities to kind of, uh, to kind of network with people from different industries and you will have opportunities to like take on some professional qualifications to uh, hone your skills. So I think a grad scheme are definitely a good start uh, in those industries. Great, thanks, uh, thanks, Rick. So I think we're running a little bit uh, towards the end here. So they normally say you should finish sort of a, uh, a lecture presentation discussion with three points. We're actually going to gamble and go for six uh, this time from each of the alumni panels. So I would like you just to just very briefly summarize if there's one final piece of advice that you could have given yourself you know, doing ITM and EBM where they are now, you know, uh, halfway into the program. Uh, it could be career advice. It could be something else. But, you know, what, what piece of advice would you like to share, you know, three or 10 months down the 10 years, three years or 10 years down the pipe from where these students are today? What piece of advice would you, you know, finally give to these students? So we just run around the groups. So um, we'll start with you look the most baffled or worried, Krupa, so I'm going to start with you. So <laughs> just to put you out of your comfort zone. So what, what piece of advice would you like to share? The others get a couple of moments to think. Um, I think it's, it's a hard one. I haven't thought this through completely. But the first thing that comes to my mind, and I wish I had known this before was to, um, I mean, we, unfortunately, I mean, I'm sorry for you guys who've obviously been online, but we had a fantastic year in Bath physically. Um, so a lot of distractions, a lot of, um, a, a lot of things to do outside coursework. 
that I personally failed to sometimes consciously work my way through the modules and understand which were the, which were the ones that I really resonated with and I wanted to carry forward um, as a set of skills um, in, into the business. I obviously had soft spots for certain modules. Uh, for example, innovation management was my favorite uh, from Steve. I think that was the most relevant to me. Until date, I'm using a lot of the concepts, um, which is something I only learned I, I reflected or had a chance to reflect while I was at work being like, oh gosh, I need to know how to go back and do a business model canvas because we're trying to like bring this product out to the market. And um, I wish I had been a little bit more mindful of the things that I was learning at that point and just sort of realizing that this is, this is what I want to focus more on. I, I'm good at this or I'm performing well. I'm able to understand this better and really hone those skills. Um, and, and lastly, just as a point, um, I know I said that I always knew what I wanted to do, but I think it's really important to um, find something that you, you're really passionate about so that you don't really feel it's work. Um, and I think that's really important, especially in the pandemic time. Um, the ITM allowed me to, gave me a lot of the clarity as to which direction I wanna go in. And it's been, it's very, very, it's been very helpful in that sense. Thank you, Cooper. Uh, Carl, we'll go to you next. What are your, what's your advice? Um, I would say just be confident about yourself and your, your skills, uh, which you learn. Um, that is, you're in really good hands uh, back then, Bath, and uh, they prepare you very well. And um, so don't be afraid of not performing or not being able for... Uh, to fit into certain roles or something, you are in good hands and uh, be confident about it. Thank you, Carl. Uh, Varun, we'll go to you next. Uh, so basically one advice I would like to give to everybody here is that um, when you're going into your professional careers, uh, don't go with too many expectations in your mind because very often what people do is they think that, okay, when I, when I join the job, there'll be this, this, this. And quite often they're very disappointed with the, with the, with the reality of things. So I feel just go with an open mind, take it as it comes and don't have too many preconceived notions about what your working career will be like. You'll figure it out eventually. If you're going to think too much about it, you'll probably mess it up. So it's, it's, it's best to just go with an open mindset. Open mindset. Thank you, uh, Varun. Uh, Peter Nell? I would say don't stress. You'll be fine. I, what I think is I stress too much applying for jobs where I should have been enjoying my time also. I know it's hard to, to <laughs> a hard one to, to understand at the time. Um, that's just be confident. And if someone says no, it doesn't mean you're not good enough. It means they have a different role in mind. So chill, don't stress. I was stressing and it's not good. Thank so. you, very good advice. I need to, you mind, Peter? Say again? I need, to, I need to really run. No, thank you, yes, thank you. I realize we're running a little bit late. So Peter, many thanks uh, for joining. Really appreciate uh, your input, thank you. Uh, Rick, yeah, over thank, to you. Thank you, Peter. No. 
Yeah, sure. So I think my one piece of advice is to keep the relationship going. I think Bath is a great uh, talent center and having Bath on your CV will not just benefit uh, you when you apply for your entry job, but we will, uh, but we will like benefit you quite a lot throughout your career. So the friends, classmates, tutors you met um, um, in Bath, do make sure you keep those relationships going. And in the long term, you get loads of inspirations from them. Brilliant. Thank you, Rick. And Danish, over to you for the, for the last word. Um, enjoy yourself uh, because, you know, you have a lot of work life ahead of you, but ITM is a very unique experience. And so you definitely should enjoy yourself and spending time with, uh, you know, uh, your, your, your colleagues. Don't overthink it. You'll probably mess it up. Uh, just, and always make use of everything that Bath has to offer. Don't be like me. Go and talk to Sarah. Go and talk to Peter. Go and talk to Steve about your career. Figure out what you need to do because Bath offers so many resources. And a lot of time, if you are a lazy ass like me, you would just like, yeah, it, it will be fine. Don't do that. Do talk to them. And you will find that you can manage your time. You can look for opportunities. And at the same time, you can enjoy the experience that is ITM. Excellent. Well, finally, so uh, be mindful about the course, find something you love, be confident, don't stress, enjoy yourself. I think some very healthy advice in general there. Keep an open mind, uh, talk to us in the university and keep that relationship live. Um, a big thank you to our alumni panel. I've thoroughly enjoyed this. I've thoroughly enjoyed listening to you. I'm thank sure you. I really hope our students have taken a lot out of this. It's, it's fantastic to hear you know, what's happened to you after you've left ITM and uh, EBM. Uh, we're all really proud of you to have you as alumni from, from the course and representing our of course, and please do stay in touch. We love having you uh, connected with the university and we'd love Definitely. to have you back. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.